Welcome. Welcome, lovely listeners, to another episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Turner, and joining me in our studios in Southern Illinois is producer Mason. And also joining us from a cul-de-sac in West St. Louis County is Sean Campbell. How you guys doing today? I'm good. Got a very tasty beer with me here in the studio and ready to talk about what a big day it was on Decision Day. You know, every single week, you somehow never manage to fail to get more and more specific. Next thing you know, you'll be giving my address out. (laughs) I don't actually have your direct address, so... I'll get to research on that. Yeah, Mason, don't. don't give it to I him. do, and that's very privileged information. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't have to worry. You're not on Twitter. They're not coming after you. Yet. <laughs> Yet. Uh, welcome, everyone. Uh, this is episode 20 of the Soccer Capital Podcast. Uh, thank you for all listening. And uh, if you are listening out there, go ahead. And if you haven't already, subscribe. Please rate and review as it really helps the show grow. And... Uh, Not a lot to talk about this week for St. Louis City. We had a lot last week. All seems to bunch up together into, uh, you know, globs of news. But the Academy did make a road trip, at least the U-17s did. And they went down to Houston to play a rather hot and pretty good Academy for the Houston Dynamo. Maybe better than their, you know, first team. But that's neither here nor there. It was a draw on the road for the U-17s. A good result. Uh, they jumped out to an early lead, thanks to a, uh, uh, they had a nice spell of possession and then a lovely through ball from Miguel Perez uh, behind the defense, finding Anthony Fallpaul, and that gave him a 1-0 lead uh, early off in the game. They did uh, jump out to a 2-1 lead at halftime. Houston did come back and get an equalizer early in the second half, and uh, then there was a red card against uh, the Academy boys. But they were able to hold on, and it was a draw on the road in Houston. Nice long trip, actually. Good result from that. Uh, Lutz seemed to be happy with the battles and how they put in the the gameplay and uh, their enthusiasm. Uh, they do. He did say that the team needs to be more assertive on the defensive end and uh, make it more difficult for the opponents to score with this high octane pressing style. That usually takes a lot of time and work. Um, It comes. And with it, when you're learning these presses, as uh, Red Bull New York found in this MLS season, sometimes you don't get the pressing right. Somebody doesn't pick up what they're supposed to do in time. You leave gaping holes and you leave yourself wide open. So uh, something to also look for and anticipate uh, come 2023 when City starts their actual MLS play. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely makes sense for that to be a focus, though, because they seem to have the offensive side of the press down, but that defensive side, like you said, it takes a lot of coordinated effort and work to get that right because it can go sideways real quick on you. There's a lot of automation in the players' decision-making and their physical habits as well that go into making this sort of system work. It is a lot of work. It requires a lot of the players and uh, usually takes time to develop as well as we go forward. Uh, you know, the lower division league will be a big help uh, starting next year as well for a lot of the more advanced players in the academy. Yeah, one thing I have to say is that uh, one of the most important parts if you're going to play a high press is not just necessarily decision-making, but recognizing that, hey, this guy's he's pushing on the press. I'm not involved in the play. I need to come back and, you know, have someone be able to be back up and cover 
so that, you know, if you do get caught out and then they break back, you do still have someone covering that position. Um, it, it, but it's just recognizing when someone is moving out of position to make the press. But again, that does come with time, like you said. And I think having extended time with the academy is definitely going to help him be ready for first team. And uh, maybe we'll avoid the fate of Austin FC. Yeah, and a lot of it comes to do with the decision making, just learning to keep your eyes open, stay alert. Not just what the defense is doing, but what your teammates are doing. Move to cover, or if somebody doesn't cover or somebody's in the half spaces, try to cover that. It takes time. And these are just still just kids in the development stage. They're still in the academy. Also uh, with the academy, I spoke last week about uh, Aaron Hurd and joining the uh, men's youth national team uh, for the U.S. for the U-17s. And how high rated he was. I saw another metric about the under 20s uh, national team and the rankings of all the players in uh, the pool for that team as well. And he, during the metric I saw, came in as 39th overall amongst all players under 20 in the U.S. So kudos to him. Of course, he's only 15, so that's a pretty good call. He was not the highest rated of his class, however. Um, seeing those numbers so high for kids so young, um, what does that say? Does it say that, uh, youth development in the U.S. is getting better? Or does it say something about the vagaries of youth development in all? Uh, you know, at the age of 15, there's still a lot of growth left in the body, still a lot of growth left in the mind, emotions. The world's going to come at them much faster. There's, you know, People that start off great don't always finish off great. It has a lot to do, not just physicality, injuries, but also the mindset of the player. Don't get too high on yourself. That's why we don't mention too many names on here. Trying to get people up to speed with some of the players in the academy. But uh, they are still academy players. They're not even actually professionals yet. They're still going to high school and committing all their extra time to the academy. So... Give them a pass on that. This weekend, it's a big game. I heard it being called the St. Louis Derby, as uh, St. Louis City Academy will be traveling all the way to Soccer Park to take on St. Louis Scott Gallagher's Academy in MLS Next Play. Both the U16s and 17s will be playing. Uh, as we mentioned before, we are planning to attend as a gang, a uh, roving band of soccer thugs, be it. Uh, we're going to also... Excited to be there. The St. Luligans are going to be having a tailgate. So uh, a lot of time to meet people, come out and support the team, uh, get to know us. Uh, we'll be there, barring catastrophe, of course. And uh, we invite everyone. If you're on the fringes, just trying to get into this, this is a great time to come talk to people. Find out a little more about what's going on. Find friends. It's pretty easy. We found friends quite easy with it. And we encourage everyone that's listening and uh, especially anybody that might be new listeners to come out and, and join us. Yeah. I feel like we say this every time we mention a, a Luligans event, but it's such a great group of people, really easy to get yourself into it. A lot of people there willing to talk to you, especially if you're kind of new to it, help ease you in. Um, I'm fairly new to it, honestly, and sometimes stuff that people are talking about goes over my head, but um, you can find people who will talk to you on your level, whatever that level is. Um, this weekend with the tailgate, they are doing, um, what was it? A uh, tall boy roulette. 
Yes, I'm really looking forward to that. So if you want to participate in that, because it sounds like a lot of fun to me personally, um, bring two bucks for the charity du jour and uh, a can of beer, 24 ounces or taller. And the all the all the money that's being raised for the CDJ to, um, is going to the St. Louis Food Bank. Uh, that's I believe that's their actual CDJ this week. So anything any extra donations are going there, but also all the money raised through the uh, through the roulette is going there as well. And then all of the beer is going into a big box, and whatever you pull out, you drink. I think that sounds like fun. And uh, I, I don't believe it's twenty four ounces or high. I think it's any oversized beer. So. If you wanted to bring something 16 ounces of a finer quality, uh, we would encourage that. But uh, you could bet there's going to be a lot of uh, some off-brand beer just to make it fun to see who can drink it on that. And uh, also to let you know, there is no membership card. There is no membership fee for those St. Luligans. They do it all through charity. If you would like to do it, you could buy a scarf for charity. You can do the du jour, uh, charity du jour, in which uh, a lot of that does go into the community. It is a nonprofit status, so uh, they keep just enough money to keep these things going, to keep everything rolling, and they've been doing it for 11 years. Yeah. Um, any merch that you buy from the Luligans, anything like that, that goes back into the Supporters Club. Anything raised through CDJ, 100% of that goes to whatever the charity is. So all the money that goes into the CDJ for this event is going to the St. Louis Food Bank. Any money raised through merch purchases or anything like that for the Luligans goes back into the Luligans to help put on events like this. Um, and then eventually when the club starts to hang their TIFOs and stuff like that. And if you do come out and want to meet us, uh, just look for the old fat guy in the funny hat. That's a pretty good tip off. <laughs> or or the one guy dressed funny with a lot of... Uh, Sporting KC gear around. That would be Sean. No, no, uh, no. Pretty easy to find. No, Mason, no, no. I will not be wearing no, you're sporting not, stuff. You're not wearing it this week. No, huh? just it was, that was just for the costume <laughs> contest. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> we got to give you hell on that, but we'll be there. And uh, you can also spot us because we'll have a beer in our hand. I'm sure. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I think that it is going to be fairly chilly that night, so prepare accordingly, dress accordingly. You will be able to pick me up because I will be wearing the distinct Prince Daddy and the Hyena hoodie that signals my membership in the old Emos Club. And you can find me. <laughs> you can find us by finding me the even crazier guy. I'll be wearing flip flops because that's just what I do. <laughs> It'll be pushing freezing, but he'll be in flip flops. That's what he does. Uh, also, if you can't make it on Saturday, maybe you can make it Friday night to Amsterdam Tavern uh, to get an email uh, from. I guess, uh, founders on that. If you did get the email, come down there. They're going to, the club itself is going to have a watch party at, uh, Amsterdam Tavern for the U S men against Mexico on Friday night. Uh, you can RSVP if you got the email for a special prize. And you can also check in with the app to perhaps get a badge that was hinted at. So look forward to that. So that's what's going on with St. Louis city. I haven't really heard too much else in rumors or anything else this week. No, not my, not me either. Do just want to clarify, we will not be at the watch party event, unfortunately. I think that would be too much drinking back to back. <laughs> yeah, I'm too old for that. So, enough about that. It's time for the big news this week, which is World Cup qualifying in CONCACAF. Our 
U.S. men's national team will be in Cincinnati on Friday night. Nice 8.10 p.m. Central Time start. Uh, taking on Mexico. The, you know, the big game. The big home game of the World Qualifying Cycle. Uh, in the octagonal, it's not as crucial as it used to be under the old hexagonal, with only six teams and less games. But uh, these uh, points are important uh, for qualifying. The U.S. needs it. It's not killer if they don't get uh, points against this game against Mexico, but it would sure hurt. One point would be great. Uh, three points would really be great on that. And we're going to preview what we see as we go forward and uh, what we had in the roster. There was a couple of uh, surprising names not in the roster this for this window. This window is only two games, not three games, like it has been during this year, this cycle's qualifying. So uh, rotation-wise, depth of squad is not as crucial in this particular window as will be in all the others. The big news, and if you're following the men's national team, I'm sure you know all about it. Uh, longtime and veteran uh, center back John Brooks was not called in for this. He has not played well so far in qualifying for the U.S. men's national team and was not playing well for Wolfsburg in the Bundesliga. However, his form has picked up over there and in the Champions League's game for Wolfsburg. But Berhalter chose not to pick him for this particular uh, window of the cycle. Uh, Brooks, to his benefit, did put out a statement stating that uh, his performances have not been up to par. He's going to work hard to get back into the team. And I think this is a one-off myself. Personally, I what I believe is against Mexico, which Brooks is... Uh, He's not the swiftest afoot of possible options. Uh, probably Berhalter was planning on Serginio Dest being there, who's not the greatest defensive player as a uh, halfback. So maybe he's going for something more athletic against Mexico and upcoming against Jamaica, who's also a very fast athletic team. And I think if he didn't plan on starting Brooks... He thought with the Brooks's history of back problems, he doesn't need to make the transatlantic flight, in addition to this form being off for the national team. That's my thoughts on the matter. You guys have anything different on this one? Because it's been quite controversial with this roster move. No, I mean, I kind of tend to agree. Um, Brooks is right in his statement. He hasn't been great during World Cup qualifying. Uh, everyone kind of knows that. Um, and... I'd be surprised if he didn't at least get a look in later. That'd be very, very surprising because he's really a veteran on uh, with the the national team. You got any thoughts, Sean? No, I think you guys pretty much hit it on the head. Uh, I have not seen him show up as well as we thought, as well as he has in the past. And um, I, I think we've got better guys that are a little bit faster and with especially as fast as Mexico can be up front. Uh, we're going to need all the speed we can get. I do, however, believe that if it was a three-game window, Brooks would absolutely be here. People are saying, why do you pick McKenzie over Brooks? Well, McKenzie's a bench guy. They really only need two center backs or a third. Uh, they do have Chris Richards. They have Walker Zimmerman. And, of course, Miles Robinson probably is now, at this moment as we speak, the number one center back on the team. Uh there really isn't a need to bring 
Brooks over if he's not there. And uh, the way that uh, Brooks approached his statement is that Berhalter made the decision and had a long talk with him. So it's not something that's just like, hey, call him up. You're not coming this time. Uh, that's not been Berhalter's way that he's working from everything I heard from everyone on the team. He really explains his thinking, what's going into it, and says this doesn't mean you're out of the squad. It just means in this particular window, uh, this is what we're going to do, which is credit to Berhalter. If one thing, if he's not the great tactical manager or overthinks some things, there is no one that doubts that he isn't a really good man manager. And a lot of the best ma- uh the coaches in the world always ask, what's the best thing that stands out for a great uh, coach in, in soccer? And almost to a man, the first thing they say is man management. That's more important than tactical awareness or anything else. It's uh, man management. It's probably a good time to go through the uh, injury report also as we go through these rosters. Uh, as I mentioned, that uh, perhaps Brooks wasn't called in because they wanted somebody more athletic for cover behind Serginio Dest on the on the uh, as a halfback. Right before the rosters were announced, Serginio Dest had to back out due to injury. He will not be here uh, for either of the games in this window. Gio Reyna still has not played at all since he suffered that hamstring injury in the first qualifying window, and this is dragging on a long time. Hamstrings often do. But this is dragging on a long time. Don't expect him to play uh, for Dortmund, from what I'm hearing, this year. So, we'll see. Christian Pulisic did come back. He has played in a substitutes role with Chelsea. He's gotten a few minutes. Uh, He is called in. He will be with the team in Cincinnati and down in Kingston, Jamaica. Uh, How much he can play? Thomas Tuchel says, I hope they take care of be careful with him because he's still experiencing pain in that ankle. Uh, and what's his fitness going to be? We don't know. Uh, will he start and go off at halftime? Will he come as a sub in these games in the second half? There's a lot to discuss on that. But at least he's there and with the team. And the team seems to be excited to have him there. So, uh, giving all that, uh, I'll ask you, Sean, uh, Outside of uh, John Brooks not being called in at all, anything else in this roster that uh, surprised you? Yeah, um, honestly, one of the big, bigger things that stands out to me is the fact that Pepe's our only out-and-out striker that we have on this roster. Uh, I mean, I don't see anyone else that you really could slide into that middle spot and be as effective as he is. Um, how's that going to play out? Are we going to end up... I just, I, I don't know what we're going to do if Pepe has to come off or you know, God forbid he gets hurt. A uh, new face to the uh, to the roster is Jesus Ferreira, uh, Pepe's uh, teammate with FC Dallas. You know, he's his limited time with the U.S. men's national team, mostly in low-level friendlies, he has played as a striker, probably would work in a nine in that case. Timothy Way is on this roster. He has played as a striker. But neither one are hold-up option, options like Pepe. If Pepe gets hurt uh, during the game against Mexico, or against Jamaica for that matter, uh, they could then change the format, put those guys in. If if he gets hurt during Mexico and can't play against Jamaica, there's always a possibility that Daryl DK could be called in. 
before that game, somebody in MLS preferably, since it's a short flight, especially to Kingston, Jamaica. Uh, also, another name floating around who came back recently at the tail end of the MLS season, looked the fittest he's been in years and actually played extremely well. Maybe Josie Altador makes an appearance with this squad if that happens. I've actually heard some people surprised that he wasn't brought in as a second striker on this one. Uh, we'll have to see. I mean, he just came back after missing the whole year in the last two, three weeks. He did look good, look sharp, look fit, thin, uh, as he has in years. I would still take DK. He's been really playing well for Orlando City uh, here at the very end of the MLS season. Um, But so, assuming that nothing happens to Pepe, he doesn't get hurt, are we expecting him to play full 90s both games? Oh, we are expecting that. Does Burhalter have a false nine with Ferreira in mind? Uh, somebody else playing some funky, you know, sort of formation? I hope not, but can't discount that. Uh, there's four games between both of these uh, qualifiers, so Pepe can play both. And, uh, you know, if you need to change a pace at the end, like we said, there's Ferreira could step in there. Wea has played that role perfectly capable so it's not like there's a gaping wound but it'd be like when the Klinsman only brought Josie Altador as the only hold-up striker into the 20 of uh, 2014 World Cup and Altador got hurt in the first game and uh, then Dempsey had to work as a striker and it really hamstrung everything that they really were gearing up to uh, this isn't quite that same situation it's two games but they raised eyebrows for sure. On the on the topic of Josie not making the roster, though, I mean, he may look good, but he's also getting up there in age. And if he does come in for the for a round of qualifiers, I'm not sure we he would make it for the roster for the World Cup if slash when we qualify. So that and with his history of, like you said, getting hurt all the time, I I don't see that as as a good alternative. Um, even if we had brought him in, which, in my opinion, good thing that we didn't. No, one thing in Altador's favor is no one else can really match his ability to be a hold-up type striker, but also to give and go, to pass out of his position. That's one thing Pepe has possibly shown, but he hasn't got that development yet that Josie has. Josie's really good about drawing defenders and passing out to say Pulisic. Pulis has gotten a lot of work off of him in the past, back in the day. That's the one thing in Josie's favor. I am not going to be one to state that he should be called up. Uh, it's just was a thought that's out there. And uh, who knows? You know, if Pepe gets hurt and they got to call someone, I have to say in MLS to make the trip to catch the Jamaica game, those are the only two that really pop up into my brain that really should be called up. I think I would lean towards DK because um, we'll get into it a little bit when we talk about decision day. But he looked pretty good. Um, with He's looked good with Orlando. He especially looked good with Orlando in that last game. Hot take. Bring in Will Bruin. Will Bruin. The hometown boy. He didn't even play this week, did he? Or did he come on as a sub? Now, nah, Seattle, there was a lot of uh, people missing from that lineup this past week. But we'll get all into that later. Another question, I'll raise it up here for you guys to discuss. Who are you picking as goalkeeper? 
Or who do you think Burhalter's going to pick as goalkeeper? Matt Turner or Zach Steffen? The way I see it, I think we see Steffen against Mexico and Turner against Jamaica. That's how I was leaning to. And here's my reasoning behind that. Um, they're both done really well at the international level. Turner's in form, but Stefan has... I, there's just something about him starting against Mexico that just says yes because of his experience, and he's finally getting games overseas. And uh, I, his quality has just always been there. Yeah, it, it, there's a little problem. Stefan has been playing a little bit more for Manchester City been uh, of late. Uh, and has looked very good. He re-signed with Manchester City. little shocking, given that he's a backup, but apparently they really like him. And if one of the four best teams in the world, and perhaps the best coach in the world currently, really like you and wants you back on the squad, it's hard to say no, isn't it, on a personal level? You know, as a national team fan, you want him to start. On a personal level, it's really hard to turn down that role. He's won catastrophic injury away from being the starting goalkeeper for perhaps the best team in the world. That's where it stands. Uh, I also kind of think that uh, Berhalter's looking at Stefan's distribution, thinking that the Mexico game, they're not going to dominate possession. Uh, they're going to try to get out on the counterattack, uh, try to catch the slow-footed uh, midfield, and especially the slow-footed backside of the Mexico defense. And try to get out after them and run a lot. And I think he's going to want the uh, better distribution from Stefan. It's not cut and dried that it is better than Turner. But uh, that is the one tick that Stefan especially has over Turner. Is his ability to uh, distribute the ball quickly. Because that's what he works on every day at a very high level with Manchester City. So he's getting training in that. Also, I do think Stefan's a little bit bit better decision maker coming out of his box to go across crosses and uh, free kips, corners, that stuff. And also Turner's about to go into the offseason where he won't be playing for the uh, January, February, and then the uh, March windows for qualifying. I wonder if Berhalter's also looking at the fact that Stefan's going to be actually, if not playing, and he will in cup competition as long as they're still in it, uh, and perhaps spot starts. But he'll be in training. Maybe he's going to rely on Stefan during Turner's offseason. Yeah, I could definitely see that being being the case. Um, but I also don't see Stefan starting both these games just because he, for some reason, I have a feeling that Berhalter's wanna going to want to get both of them in there just so they can get their time. Because like you said, I don't think Turner's going to play as much in the late winter, early spring windows. Yeah. But I I also feel a little bit about Turner. It's like you, you kind of keep riding your hot hand, right? Turner's been really good in the last couple of windows. Um, I do agree that I think Stefan's a better pick against Mexico, but there's no reason to not put Turner in against Jamaica. Um, there's no real reason to not play Stefan either, but I feel like you you give Stefan a run out against Jamaica because Stefan seems like the easy lock for Mexico. It's uh, There's a question to be said about a center back pairing working with the same goalkeeper. I don't know if we're going to have the same center back pairing in these two games. I got a feel Chris Richards is a future center back of the U S men's national team, but he's still very young and uh, he's got athleticism. He can cover, he can do this, 
but his decision-making, he barely missed a penalty in the the last window, uh, picking up a penalty. There's still holes in his game that, of course, he will learn. He is extremely talented, but uh, I don't think you're going to have the same center-back pairing in both games. Uh, so changing goalkeepers out, playing the high hand, keeping them both engaged as well, because it's a real competition who's going to be number one uh, throughout qualifying and all the way up until November of next year, a year from now, when they actually hopefully go to uh, the World Cup. And I do believe they will qualify. Uh, but uh, we'll just have to see. It, it, it's champagne problems for Berhalter, but I'm sure it's a headache. Turner's really made it a headache for him. Yeah, champagne problems or no, these are important decisions to be made. A lot of uh, controversy in uh, roster selections, but one I don't think was very controversial was uh, bringing in former NYCFC uh, Academy developed player Joe Scally, who's been doing so, so well as kind of a surprise starter for Bayern Mönchengladbach in the uh, Bundesliga. And uh, he got called into this camp first time in. Berhalter didn't just jump on it, watched him, see if he developed after last window. He did even better. Uh, actually watched Scali's team beat up on Bayern Munich in the uh, Pokal Cup over in Germany. And uh, in that game, Scali held up well against players like uh, Alfonso Davies. I don't think we'll see Scali against Mexico. Probably could use his talents and uh, where he is, but this also comes down to mentality. This is as big a game as the U.S. plays in a four-year window. This in the game at Azteca. It's a lot to throw an 18-year-old in his first camp into this game. That's a big ask. Uh, have to see, of course, what we do not know is what happens in training. And that says a lot of who's going to start and who's going to play. Scali comes in and shows something. You know, if he's better than DeAndre Edlund or Reggie Cannon, Berhalter will not be afraid to throw Scali in. He's done it before. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. Um, Berhalter is not afraid to throw a young kid into the shark tank and see if he sinks or swims. He's, he did it with Pepe. Yeah, he's that, that's not outside of the realm of possibility for him. It's a big ask. Yeah, it is, but it's it not. It, it's not. It won't be surprising if he does. Scally earned it. Yeah, is what it comes down for to. sure. But I Scally will be the head and, head and shoulders above everybody else. Yeah, I don't. I I I wouldn't be surprised if we see him against Mexico. But I I would be I would be surprised if we don't see him against Jamaica. Yeah, I would expect to see him. On the other hand, depending upon game state, Berhalter could really plan on getting him time. And Game State doesn't allow it. That happened with Yunus Musa. Uh, he was looking for a time in the Nations League to get him in, but the U.S. just didn't play against Honduras the way they wanted to. And a big ask in a cup final against Mexico to throw him in. He didn't get in. Didn't seem to harm Musa. Didn't seem to harm his attitude or anything else. Uh, he's played very well. Because that's something you can't predict or plan around. That's just, you. you that's a game time not even a game time decision that's an at the moment decision yeah and the stakes are high here uh you know mark mckenzie made that mistake in the first two minutes of the nation's league cup he did recover and have a pretty good game but it did drop him down the list uh not that he was that high on the list to begin with 
but the, you know, it's a learning experience for uh, McKenzie in that role. But this is a bigger stake in a World Cup qualifier against Mexico at home. Uh, you know, Scally really had no first-level professional experience until this Bundesliga season started. And he came in and grabbed that job and took it and ran with it. Perhaps Gladbach's best player, or one of them, uh, so far this season. He could win the job. It's a big ass to throw him into this game, though. Another big question on the roster is the wingers. Jordan Morris is back, but he's not fit. He's not ready. Uh, you got Timothy Weah. You've got uh, Brendan Aronson. They're going to get playing time. Paul Areola's on the team. What do you guys think? Is Weah going to start? Is Areola going to start? If I had to guess, uh, just because Pulisic's still coming back, um, I'm not sure we see him start against Mexico, in which case I think we see Aronson and then Areola just for, you know, the veteran presence. And he knows what it's like to play against Mexico. Um, he's done it a few times in his in his time with the men's national team, if I remember correctly. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see any combination of those three starting on the wings for Mexico. And then depending on Pulisic's fitness, he might start Jamaica. My thought is that he it will start Areola. One thing, Areola is proven to be a tireless presser on the defensive end. Uh, also tireless, just tireless, running up and down the flanks, causing issues, even if his effectiveness in the final third isn't what... If he was as effective as Jordan Morris in the final third, the, the guy would be a, an ink starter, but he's not. Uh, also, let's not forget Areola played in Lee Mackey's for years before he came to DC United as a, I believe, as a DP. So he has that experience of playing in Mexico as well. But also, Areola doesn't do as well, you know, relative to what his skill set is when he comes in as opposed to starting. He's much better starting. And I'm of the belief that Berhalter's falling into the thought that Thomas Tuchel's had with P Christian Pulisic at Chelsea is when you get to the 65th minute, uh, bring in the fresh legs. If Pulisic does not start, I don't expect him to, uh, but he might, just to center the team, maybe more emotionally. But physically, I would, I could see Berhalter coming in the 65th minute, bring in Weya and Pulisic both to run at a tired and kind of old and short because of suspensions and injury back line of Mexico. So if the game is still in that state to where it could be done or the U.S. is trying to get a goal to equalize, I could very well see him running out those guys to go straight at them and scare the bejesus out of that back line. Yeah, I think all that's really good points. Um Aronson and Areola seem to have made a reasonably good team in the last window as well. Um, Aronson more than Areola, I think. But they they were reasonably effective together. And then if Pulisic's not at 100% fitness and he's not going to be playing a full 90, I think you use him as a weapon off the bench. You use him as a sub like he does in Chelsea. If that's the case, why don't you put Wea in as well? Refresh, refresh both of them. I think, I think it would be Aronson and Areola with... Pulisic and Weah coming on. Was it the Jamaica game where Weah came in uh, as a 
substitute, or as Berhalter calls him, solution, uh, and just was fantastic and sparkling. He hasn't done that starting. He's not a device, uh, you know, very decisive into the box sort of runner, but against tired legs, his speed down the flank just puts defenses into disarray. You had that with Pulisic dribbling right in the middle, and uh, I think for the setup right here, possible. Possible. I can also see Pulisic getting the start and being subbed off early. I don't think from what Berhalter said that he's going to try to play Pulisic too much because he does want him to send him back to Chelsea healthy, more fit, and ready to play every day because that benefits the U.S. men's national team in the long haul because there's still, you know, six games after this window that are going to be very important, including trips to Costa Rica and to Mexico, uh, you need Pulisic ready, healthy, and ready to go. Also, if Pulisic just stopped dribbling right into the middle of a pile of people so he gets kicked and battered, that might help. You know, a little little side pass to Aronson open making a run would be maybe keep him from getting kicked so much, too. That's to be said. Another big question here is without John Brooks, well, we know Miles Robinson's starting. Oh, and by the way, Miles Robinson did get his first career MLS goal, and an important one uh, on Decision Day and MLS this past week. So he's coming in on a high. But uh, Miles Robinson's in there as a starter. He's earned that. Who do we think is going to start against Mexico across from him? Uh, Walker Zimmerman with his uh, presence in the box uh, on set pieces, which could be very important in this game, is proven to be during the summer. Or will it be the more talented and faster and more nimble Chris Richards? What do you guys think? I think when it comes to Mexico, I my money's on Zimmerman. Just just because, like you said, he's got a bigger presence in the box. I think he's, and with Richards not having as much experience, uh, especially in a home game against Mexico, we got to put our best foot forward. Win your home games, try to get points away. That's how you get out of this octagonal. And we got to secure those points with our best lineup. I was leaning towards Zimmerman as well. Yeah, I do tend to agree. Uh Again, it comes down to training. Richards is very talented, plays at a high level, uh, but he's also very young, and it's a big game. He has been in camp, and the, the last uh, window was not his first run out with the team. Uh, I do think Zimmerman against Mexico. This summer proved that uh, set pieces, Zimmerman and McKinney uh, really give you uh, uh, an advantage on set pieces. I also heard something that Mexico has been really training on their set piece defense because they know the U.S. has a distinct advantage there. So it might not be so easy, but it's still, you know, you've got two very, very, very talented players on the set pieces with headers. And Robinson scored this week as well. So that's an advantage to the U.S. But I do think it'll be Zimmerman. And I do think Richards will get the run out against Jamaica. One thing coming into this, and uh, Mexico's not in the best shape coming into this game, especially defensively. Uh, they've got a yellow card, suspension, keeping uh, center back out. They're relying on a lot of older players uh, that are a little slow of foot. Their wingbacks haven't really, their halfbacks haven't really come into play. Uh, Andres Guarado. Great midfielder, but he's old and slow. 
Uh, I've even heard that they might be thinking about putting Edison Alvarez as a center back and taking him out of midfield, which would be devastating for El Tree, quite frankly. Edison Alvarez in the midfield is a real key to what they do. Uh, Diego Yanez, who, if you remember, is the one that toasted Tim Ream in the Nations League final, uh, came in and just was electric. He's not on the roster. Uh, Tecatito Corona, always a uh, you know a threat on the wing, somebody you have to watch. For some reason, after being the best player for Porto last year, is hardly getting any game time. He's sat on the bench or not even been on the roster for a majority of the games for Porto in uh, the Portuguese league this year. Raul Jimenez is back, but he had that long time off with that skull fracture he suffered in the Premier League for Wolverhampton. Uh, but he's frightening. Got to watch him. They still have a lot of talent out there. But uh, also been hearing that uh, the Mexican media and the fans, which are even worse than in the U.S., have been all over Tato Matino for his roster selection and his tactics. Sound familiar? So they have been winning. They're topping the group. They're in great shape to qualify. But uh, they haven't really been as impressive as we would expect and certainly not as impressive as the Mexican media and fan base want. They haven't been dominating hardly anyone. They dominated Honduras, but U.S. did that in a half. Uh, Honduras has been very disappointing so far in World Cup qualifying. So it's something to keep an eye on. Uh, Mexico brings a lot of veteran presence, players that know how to play together, know what their roles are, know how to space themselves. So that's one way they always keep possession is when you try to pass out, they're always in the passing lanes. Uh, you know, that's that's how they get there. The drawback to that veteran is with the young U.S. lineup, their speed's not up to par right now with the U.S. The U.S. is faster and more athletic. So it's an interesting game. It's a fascinating game, to be honest. Uh, it could go either way. It's really going to come down to who makes mistakes, crucially, who has the talent to make the wonder strike. But if I had to put my money on what's going to happen... I'm going to say a, a multi-goal draw, or at least a goal draw, 1-1, one, 2-2, one, two, two, something like that. Of course, we can always have craziness at the end with penalty kicks or a, a stoppage time header from either team in the box. Both have done it to the other in recent memory. So that's what I think. What do you guys think is going to happen in this game? I'm, I'm not willing to speculate on score, but I am expecting that we come away with one point at least. Uh, I'm going to have to go absolutely stereotypical here and call Dos Acero. Dos Acero, Dos Acero. Eh? It's time to get back to those games. U.S. defense has been stout. They do make a couple of mistakes on the back line. And actually, John Brooks has been involved in those. So why this is so controversial might come down to that. Uh, they've given in some more goals, but they've been impressively stout on defense. And stingy under Burhalter. It's one thing in his benefit. If they're not attacking as well as we expect, given the talent that's there, and that hasn't gelled, the defense has gelled. So, Dos Acero? Dos Acero. In Cincinnati, not in Columbus, still in Ohio. We've done it multiple <laughs> Acero, places, though. Ohio. We've done it multiple places. We now have. it's time to do it in Cincy. It's certainly on the cards. So, 
we'll see what happens on Friday night. Game kickoff is slated for 8.10 p.m. Central Time. And uh, it's a late start. Awfully late for Cincinnati since they're in the Eastern Time Zone. But we're not traveling there, so a little break for us. Uh, so we'll get on that. The U.S. will then take on Jamaica four days later, which is Wednesday, I believe, that they play. Tuesday. Am I right on Tuesday. But uh, with Jamaica, we expect the same thing. Jamaica has played better since the U.S. played them when they looked abjectly poor. Uh, and they'll be in Kingston, and they're going to have uh, Michaela Antonio and Leon Bailey coming from the English Premier League to join their roster. It's not going to be as easy if you haven't looked at what they've been doing or you're just thinking how the U.S. played against them and how Jamaica played in that game that they played at home. Uh, going to Jamaica, it's going to be a little tougher. I, As long as there isn't too many of these talented players on the U.S. trying to do it all on their own, they all play together. They keep their defensive shape. Uh, they keep their athleticism to keep Jamaica from getting out on the counter too much. U.S. should win that. I really do think four points is what to expect out of this. Three would be okay. Anything less? Yeah, it's squeaky bum time then, as the men and blazers say. So, yeah, we'll have to see. The window's coming up. Don't know much about Jamaica. Also in the past, getting Leon Bailey and Michael Antonio actually to make the trip and be available for the game has been a real problem for Jamaica. But uh, any guys have any other thoughts about the upcoming World Cup window? Uh, we may have to record a late edition, an after dark, if you will, on, on uh, next week. There is that. There is that possibility. We might just be the first ones to drop any news about the game. Who knows? I doubt we will be the first. Oh, the but... <laughs> first podcast. You one of the first to drop, you know, drop a podcast about it. Yeah, it hasn't been decided, uh, lovely listeners, but there is a possibility we might be off schedule to get in the Jamaica game uh, next week. Uh, so be sure to subscribe to your podcaster of choice to make sure that you don't miss the show. It will be interesting, no matter how these games go. I am sure. So that wraps up our uh, U.S. M&T preview of the upcoming window. And next, we're going to go on to the uh, just wacky decision day in the wacky MLS. But first, a break. See you on the other side. It's time to embrace the chaos. That's right. It was MLS Decision Day on Sunday. Wacky Decision Day on Sunday. We had all of the East playing at the same time in the early games. All of the West teams playing at the same time in the later games. We had the most teams involved in trying to make the playoffs in any decision day in the history of MLS. You know. There's not a long history of MLS, but there's a long history of enforced parity forcing a lot of this last day stuff. But this week, this year was crazier than any of the others in the past. And uh, we're going to start off in the West because that's where we believe St. Louis City is going to be located when they come in. 
Hopefully. Yeah. In case you haven't heard it, Nashville will be playing in the West next year. Um, but I we do believe when Charlotte comes in to even out the ones. But once uh, St. Louis City comes in, we believe Nashville will be moved back to the East. It's only been in the league two years. The fire is slightly in the big picture uh the west of Nashville but they've got a, they've been in the league for so long it's much easier to move Nashville over for one year then St. Louis will come in and then Sacramento was going to be the other one i expect it to be Vegas to be the other one to come in the west and uh, eventually it'll all balance out 15 and 15 yeah but for the moment Nashville is getting the St. Louis FC treatment yes yes they are and 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 plus they're a pretty good team after two years. Uh, maybe Robert Kraft, who seems to surreptitiously run every league that he's involved in, had something kicking him out of the conference for next year. But uh, did I say that out loud? <laughs> surreptitiously <laughs> or not so surreptitiously. Yes. <laughs> but we're going to uh, start off with the West, and that gives us a chance to let uh, Sean Campbell kick us off with what happened with Sporting KC this week. Well, we got jobbed. That's the that's the easiest way to put it. I'm not saying that Uncle caused RSL to score and win, but uh, in case you missed it, um, and I don't know how, considering there have been how many press releases about it, there was a very blatantly obvious missed handball in the box that would have given Sporting a PK, and then just a minute or two later in stoppage time, they went to, RSL went down the other end, scored a header, and won the game, thus... Popping us out of first place, kicking LA Galaxy out of the playoffs, and then squeaking in. So it was not exactly the best. Uh, as I said, pros come out and said that they missed that one. They flubbed that. But outside of that, it, it was a fairly good game to watch. It was one of the more exciting nil-nil games up until the last couple minutes of the game. It was back and forth. There were chances at both ends. I know I was, my heart was beating, you know, a mile a minute the entire time, but. I don't know what you guys saw in that game, but that's what I saw. Well, actually, on decision day, we had a laptop. Uh, Three phones. <laughs> in the studio with uh, producer Mason. Had his phone, my phone, and my old phone that picks up Wi-Fi. And we were watching all the games. Uh, actually, at the time, we didn't watch that much of the sporting RSL game. Because there wasn't a whole lot happening there compared to Minnesota and the Galaxy and especially Colorado and LAFC, Seattle. We had it was the yeah. it was up. We were watching that as well. Uh, but yeah, you guys got job. You got job, uh, Justin. Glad you could. At first glance, in quick time, it's really hard to see if he actually hit the ball. Man, you watch it on replay. You could clearly see his hand moves. The ball moves. Who was it? Espinoza? Yep. That was there in front of the ball. You could see his reaction. Immediately arms in the air. Uh, afterwards, the VAR officials kind of said something or there was a release that they didn't think it was clear and obvious error on the field. That's a strange interpretation of that rule. Yeah, no, that's a that's a clear and obvious uh, mistake, both on the field and in the video review room. <laughs> yeah, just because the official couldn't see it in real time easily, is that clear and obvious? 
you know, the fire was supposed to clear this up, you know, to take the human element out of officiating, and that's what everybody was whining about. Well, with VAR, it does take some of it out, but not all of it. So we have talking points. Uh, there's the other side of this. Maybe it's a little bit of karma for SKC after not getting red cards for Mealy and Dia on their plays that they didn't go a man down. Not a make good by the officials, maybe a make good by karma. Who can say? Uh, you can't go back and relitigate any of these games. And uh, plus with Dimir Kralak and the offensive fire attackers that RSL have, if they push forward, who's not to say that uh, in the chaos at the end of the game that they wouldn't have scored a goal as well? It's tough. As one does, uh, as far as karma goes, the, the game's over. You can't do anything about it now. You look towards the next game. That's all we have to do is we have to look forward to the playoff game. And that's all we can do at this point. Put it, put it behind us and not worry about it. And with the game being over, RSL winning that game threw everything into chaos. Because up until that, as stuff was just kind of coasting. Um, Especially in Minnesota and the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden, RSL is sneaking in. Um, LAFC never had a chance. Um, but uh, yeah, the Galaxy all of a sudden had a real fire under their butts. Um, whether they knew it or not, I imagine at some point they saw the out-of-town scoreboard. And they were playing for their lives, and uh, they couldn't make it. <laughs> there was pictures on the uh, broadcast where you could almost see where they uh, came up and told Greg Vanny, or he got it on his phone, the message that RSL had scored. And then he's like, you got to score. You got to score. Shouldn't have been a problem because Frangipone of Minnesota got the penalty kick deserved and cared more about his dancing than his shooting and scuffed that thing. Those stutter steps, I know they throw off the goalie, but, you know, in Mexico, they already did it in, what was it, the the Gold Cup? Or no, the Nations League. Cuadrado did the little dance, stutter step, and stoinked the penalty kick to allow the U.S. to win. Yeah, I, actually, if, if an opposing player wants to do the little dance and the stutter step, I'm all for it if it's against my team. They miss, they, they, they give the odds, they take away the odds that they're going to score, which are quite high in a penalty kick. No, that... Getting too cute. <laughs> that PK, like, the actual, like, kick itself looked like I took it. That's how bad it was. <laughs> it looked like the pressure was on. It looked like the pressure is on. And a penalty kick is always great pressure on a day like this. Looked like the pressure was on. But Minnesota survives their terrible start to the season. They were 20 minutes away from going to MLS Cup last year. Uh, probably with uh, Bebe Reynoso have uh, one of the top talents in all the league. They kind of underperformed, but I got a feeling in a one-off, you don't want to play Minnesota coming up in the playoffs. And uh, given the fact with the international window, MLS isn't playing for till the 20th of November. We'll give a whole playoff preview coming up. We won't go into that this show. But that was exciting. What also was exciting is how the Colorado Rapids just eviscerated LAFC, especially off the set pieces, which they are particularly good at. It was 5-2, I believe, was the final score. believe so. Uh, Seattle, Sporting KC, and Colorado. Seattle won. 
They win the West. Seattle didn't win. They had a draw against Vancouver. Uh, Sporting KC wins, given that draw. They win the West. SKC we just win. talked about it. <laughs> Colorado Rapids, they destroyed LAFC, who was fighting for a playoff berth. And the Colorado Rapids win the West. They have the second best record in MLS for this season. Ryan Frazier and what he's done with that squad. They have one DP, Nomaly, who really hasn't had an impact on the season. But uh, their interim or acting uh, GM at the time, Chris Leach, uh, did make a substantial trade, trading a lot of allocation money for uh, Mark Anthony K. He solidified and gave a little more attacking uh, divisiveness to that team. And down the stretch, they were formidable. And their defense is stout. Um, and for all their efforts in winning this game, uh, Colorado gets the coveted Thanksgiving Day game on Fox going against the NFL at home. Stan Kroenke still doesn't even know he owns the team. <laughs> I was going to say, as much as, as much as I hate to give any sort of praise to anything Kroenke does... The Rapids deserved every inch of winning that conference, 100%. They really turned it on and put pressure on the two teams that looked to be running away with it. They got helped off with you know Portland kind of falling away a bit there. But, uh, yeah, I know the Rapids are going to be a very dangerous team. They're playing on Thanksgiving, but at the same time, looking at you. Well, never mind. Save that for the next episode. That's, that's playoff talk. Yeah, but the, the Rapids, uh, you know, you think they don't have a lot of him spend a lot on players, but they do have Cole Bassett. They do have Michael Berrios. They have, uh, what's his name? Uh, Akabar in defense. They've got Jack Price with all these set piece plays. They've got Mark Anthony K. There's talent that they picked up off the scrap heap of everybody else going for big money signings. They've just picked up the pieces and due to Quite frankly, what it seems to be is man management and team bonding and playing together as a team really have embarrassed a whole lot of people in this league. There is a lot of big, big, big spenders that didn't make the playoffs. And we're looking at you, especially FC Cincinnati, Inter Miami, LAFC, LA Galaxy. These teams aren't in the playoffs. Toronto, they're not in the playoffs. Colorado who's done it through bits and pieces, they're in, they're in with a bang. And with a defense as stout as theirs is, they have a chance of advancing. I don't know if it's to the finals, but they've done it once. When was that, 2010, when they won the cup? They've done it before. Who knows? Meanwhile, we talked about who didn't win, and Seattle got a draw against Vancouver. 1-1. Seattle jumped out to an early lead. Vancouver scored through the brilliant play of Ryan Gold, who has been absolutely scintillating since he came in halfway through the season from Portugal, uh, the Scottish Messi as he was known in his younger days, uh, and and their interim coach uh, Sartini, I believe is his name. <laughs> what a fun guy in the press the uh, post game. Did you hear what he said after the post game when he found out who his opponent's going to be in the playoffs, Sean? I I did not. What did he say? Okay, so he's in the conversation, and somebody goes out and who did 
somebody goes, and you're going to be playing Sporting KC, he just goes, yeah, we're going to beat Sporting KC. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, if they're playing no, but he did it in sort of a handed way. Sure. No. But if he's your coach, if you're if he's your coach, don't you love that? Yeah, as, as a coach, he's he's got he's got uh, confidence in his team, and you love to see that from the from the players, from the coaches, even from the guys in the office. You love to see confidence in your team, even when they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ryan Gold and Brian White, their hookup in the last part of the season as hot as Vancouver should be. I agree. Sporting KC should beat them, but uh, don't relax. You, sporting KC's, you know, spine of the defense. Once the, if they break the press, you got to be prepared. These guys have really come on the last half of the season, and the, the Sporting KC should not take them lightly. Oh no, we definitely don't take the Whitecaps lightly. We definitely do not. The other thing Sartini uh, had to say in his uh, post game was they asked him some question about something. He goes. I don't know. I've had too much champagne. <laughs> I stood. I shouldn't stand too close to the microphone, or flames might come out. <laughs> uh, that's a man after my own heart, right there. Talk about champagne problems. <laughs> I would pour one out for Texas and California, except I don't care so much because there's three teams in Texas. There's two huge teams in California. There's three teams in California, all. Not a damn one of them made the playoffs. There's, what is there right now? 27 teams total. Seven teams in MLS? 14 make the playoffs? Six of them are in those two states and none of them make it? The big question is, with LAFC falling apart and not making the playoffs and really never looking, except for moments here and there and small moments that they're ever going to even make a run, Bob Bradley's out of contract. Is he going back to LAFC? Is he going to move elsewhere? There's an opening Toronto where his grandkids and his son Michael Bradley play. Will he go there? Speculation. I don't know if there's anything behind it. There's a big name out there. Things have fallen apart in talent acquisition and building a squad. And that trade for a ton of allocation money for Walker Zimmerman looks terrible their defense has been absolutely destructive to them Zimmerman meant so much to that defense in their first year or two in the league and he's gone and they've never been the same yeah you could almost argue they look like Swiss cheese out there yeah them and the Galaxy the Galaxy for some reason they've spent a lot of money trying to fix their defense and nothing's worked and Greg Vanny's a very good coach but there's something there Playing defense in L.A., I don't know. Something against playing defense in L.A. Everybody wants to be showtime. I was there for the 80s Lakers. They played hellacious defense. That's one reason why they were out on the break and played such fun scoring offense in the showtime Lakers back in the day. It's not happening in uh, MLS in L.A. right now. What is the, uh, what's the old saying? Uh, defense wins championships? Yeah, I've heard that before. Didn't work out so well for the St. Louis Cardinals in MLB this year with five gold, five gold glovers, five MLB record, five gold gloves. And uh, yeah, just bonk right out. But when you lose your whole 
you know, starting staff here and there throughout the season. The fact they won 90 games is pretty amazing. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the New England Revolution. Did something that's never been done before. They broke the all-time point-scoring record in MLS. Let's just look past the fact that it's the fourth time in four years that this has happened. Which, uh, what does that say about enforced parity? They gave us such an exciting decision day, but also leaves us with a bunch of teams that are here and there. One team gets it together and they can just blow everybody away. And while the revolution really haven't blown anybody away all year, mostly, they just went through being a good team. They got a lot of talent. They got a great coach and they just win games. And uh, But they did win the last game of the season. They lost to Inter-Miami and only finished on 73 points. They did win the Supporter Shield, and they win the top seed in MLS. They'll get the home game in the Cup if they get there, and they've also won about 20 days, 28 days off before they play or something like that. So they got a long time to get cold and stiff. Yeah, I was going to say that sounds more like a detriment than a, uh, an advantage. But They also uh, rebranded their uh team they put out a new logo what did it look like to you sean i'm getting straight up pbr logo vibes it looks like you just ripped <laughs> yeah. it off a beer can and slapped it on a soccer jersey it really does it really does look like the not the actual like logo with the ribbon but like the crest that's on the pbr cans yeah it looks like a, it looks like a beer crest but it's not terrible but uh, now the old crayon flag logo of the revolution that's been there for so long is out. And I will pour one out for that. I, I really thought that was a pretty cool logo myself. Yeah. And I believe that that is the last of the original uh, crests and logos from the old MLS. They're all gone. Did the galaxy change? As far as I know, the one that the galaxy has now is not the original. Yeah. You could be correct. There were some really sad-ass logos in the early days of MLS. Hey, hey, <laughs> When they hey, slapped don't be, the league together, too. Don't you, don't you dare be dragging the Wizards' name through the mud here. That was a cool logo, and you know it. Yeah, I will also say that the greatest rebrand in the history of MLS is Sporting KC. I mean, what? We, we rebranded and then won the Cup that year, if I remember correctly. So, And, and it Kansas City has become... It really galvanized the city behind the team. Yeah. Uh, Chicago Beast seems to be ca- trying to capture some of that lightning in a bottle by rebranding three times in five years. <laughs> yeah, they they just haven't gotten the right logo yet. The, the you know, whatever that was. Oh, yeah, that's was, the problem. Like an M over a W, <laughs> that was just garbage. You know, it, it makes our lousy logo look good. <laughs> hey, I like our logo. I do, too. Put a lot of work into that. Also in the East, uh, on Wednesday, Atlanta and Red Bulls, New York, had a draw. That's what they both kind of needed. It didn't look like Atlanta was going to get one. Cincy was beating the crap out of them. Well, in the first half. And then Cincinnati remembered who they were, and Atlanta won 2-1. They get in. Uh, Well, they didn't win 2-1. They drew. (laughs) Oh, was it a draw? No, Atlanta did win. No, Atlanta and New York Cincy. drew midweek. They drew yeah, and- New York midweek, and then oh. Atlanta beat Cincy 2-1, come from behind, as one is wont to do right, against right, them. Right, 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 Remember right, right, when right. Nashville was down like 
2-0 and 3-1 and 1-6-3 over Cincinnati a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I got confused. I thought we were just talking decision day. Okay. <laughs> now, Nashville's a funny one. They did get that win over Cincinnati. Uh, however, they did tie the MLS record for most draws in the season with 18, as they drew with New York Red Bulls. Red Bulls get in. Nashville, because of all the draws, now did not finish second in the East, which would have been astounding for a second-year franchise. They finished third. The Philadelphia Union uh, let Mark McKenzie and Brendan Aronson go in the offseason, relied upon a lot of their academy players. They still finished second in the East. Uh, They've got... I mean, Paxson Erickson and Jack McGlynn and Quinn Sullivan, they've got young, young, young players that are playing extremely well for them. When they get in, they don't play all the time. They have trouble in the attack, but their defense and their press is harsh on anyone. They're going to be a problem in the playoffs. And uh, they've just chugged along. They won't win the Shield like they did last year, but they just keep getting points. Let's see if it's good enough in the playoffs. Uh, Philadelphia did get a draw. They were up 1-0, got a red card against Gideon Zalalem. If you remember him, he was one of the big gets for, uh, Klinsman when he was coach of USMNT, was a highly touted youth player in the Arsenal Academy, committed the U.S. back then. Big deal. He just didn't quite develop that well. He got the red card for a Pretty nasty tackle in this one. Didn't stop Tate Castellanos from uh, equalizing shorthanded and winning the Golden Boot this year. And that was NYCFC, not against Philly. Against Philly. I'm sorry if I was not clear, because often I'm not, especially in my mind. Uh, NYCFC, uh, Castellanos has finally figured out how to get in. They put him in so many opportunities and have all year. But here late in the season, he's really figured out after starting off strong, figure out how to get the ball in the back of the net. If they start scoring, they're going to be very, very dangerous in the playoffs. They have the ability to pass around New England's defense if they have to face them. They're going to be the biggest problem that New England would face in the run-up in the East before MLS Cup. And NYCFC could very well beat them, except for the fact that NYCFC NYC has never really done anything in the playoffs in their history. But that's old stuff. And meanwhile, Orlando beat Club de Foot Montreal, uh, killing the dream of what Wilford Dancy did as a fabulous job after Terry Henry uh, left the club right before the start of the season. Not a lot of talent there. They played extremely well. They were doing, they faded very badly down the stretch but they were probably playing above their heads. Orlando gets into the playoffs. They're not playing very well. Uh, we'll Darryl see DK what happens play- in the... <laughs> Daryl DK is playing-, playing well. Mm-hmm. The rest of the team is not. But they get in. They held on. They survived the bad call. Uh, they had a controversial call for offside in this one. Orlando got the benefit. So it nullifies the bad call at the end of the Nashville game. So it's all good, right? Yeah, that's how it works. Yeah. So all this buildup, so much excitement, so much to watch on Decision Day. I mean, games everywhere, drama, 
chaos. Now we get to wait till November 20th till the playoffs start. Yep. So we'll go through a playoff rundown later about all this. Should be exciting. Uh, why MLS decides this window? Well, you can't play during an international since most of your playoff teams have international play- players. So I guess I, you can't play the playoffs during this. It's just rough. Now for all the teams that don't make the playoffs, they've got like 111 days before they start their next season. The layoff time in MLS between the end of the season and the start of the next one, if you're not in the playoffs, is quite long. If you are in the playoffs, starts to be quite short because of the extended time with the international break. Still don't understand how they can change it. I don't understand how MLS could play through the winter with the harsh weather in the in North America. It just doesn't match what you see in most of Europe. Some of their domestic leagues actually take breaks or they play indoors. Happens a lot in like Russia, Norway, Sweden. It's it's tough. Plus, you know, soccer in the US is not a top tier sport. There's not a lot of money to put heating pads under all these stadiums, under all these glass fields, uh, glass, uh, grass fields. Uh, and how many owners out there, especially the old ones, are going to invest any money to actually build it up? Uh, and and then on, on top of that, you really want to put MLS head to head against the NFL? I wouldn't. That's a big thing. Big thing. Kids are, young people drive uh, soccer in the U.S., fandom. You gotta, you gotta be available to, for the kids to go on summer, va- uh, summer break and go see the games. It's crucial given MLS, most of the revenue comes from game day. One thing I'd like to note is the fact that uh, MLS is already going toe-to-toe with NFL for a majority of their season anyway. Like, we're already going into week nine, halfway through the NFL season, and we still have MLS playoffs for another few weeks after that. And then, so, why not just do it for the whole season? We're already competing with them. But that's But you've got a free reign discussion. from March. you got a free reign from March till halfway through August. That while the kids are out on summer break, that M- MLS and MLB are the only two games out there. That's why. True. And uh, Major League Baseball is pretty much in the same place that MLS is. It's all local driven and ga- uh, a lot of that. MLB's money comes from the excitement that's built in with their playoffs and being, you know, a America's national pastime, a legacy sport. It's going to take MLS a while to get there. We can debate why MLS won't get there, given their current structure, but... Not right now. No. That's a whole other podcast. I've been here since the beginning of MLS. It's just a miracle that we're actually at the state we are with this league in this country right now. Let's not debate that. One thing that is without debate, is one of the greatest to ever play the game in the league, uh, will not be playing anymore. Chris Wondolowski of the San, San Jose Earthquakes never tipped off if he's going to play another year, stay, until he grabbed the microphone immediately after the Quakes played their last game in a two-minute announcement, told all of the fans in the stadium that he's retiring. 
He retires as the greatest MLS goal scorer with 171 goals. Had a great, uh, he had a good career with the uh, men's national team once he finally got called in, except for one, you know, unforgettable miss at point blank in the Belgian game in 2014. Perhaps the only time he ever missed getting there. For a guy that came in out of nowhere, scored seven goals, I think, in his first five MLS seasons, came out of Chico State. He played all of his MLS career in San Jose, except when the team moved to Houston, played there for two years, got traded back to San Jose. When he's been suspended, he sits in the stands, not up in the booth, in the stands with the fans, cheers him on. And his movement in the box, his ability to always get open, even in this last season as an you know, aging player, substitute player. Man, if there's a corner kick at the end of the game, everybody's watch Wando. He always got open and scored a couple of goals, always had a chance. Somehow he always got the movement in the box. His movement was superb. So I'm going to miss him. He's a great of the game. Great of the league. Been a fabulous performer. As much as I like to hate on Wando, you got to recognize a great player when you see one. And I don't think we're going to see anyone getting anywhere close to his goal total for a long time to come. No, and uh, the difference also being that now MLS has changed. If anybody's that good, of course, anybody's that good, they might leave the league. But here's the great thing about MLS as a domestic league. This guy had to develop. It took him a while, but he had a a domestic league to build his game, find his way, and get into it and have a long and successful career in the sport. It's not all about the national team. It's about the sport. The club, what does the player do? He had a chance to develop. He had a chance to grow. The league got better while he's there. What did he do? He still scored goals. Didn't affect him. There's a famous one in, a was it the All-Star game against Chelsea? And after the game, they caught it on video. John Terry comes up to him and goes and tells him, your movement's a nightmare for me. You know. That's that's what Wanda Olowski is. Speaking of the San Jose earthquakes, Wanda Olowski leaves, and they finally get a new general manager, Chris Leach, who's been acting in the job is for four months, been there for a long time, was at some point an interim coach. Uh, they finally promoted him to be actual GM for months while they did a, start, a search going out there. The guy they wanted the one most people thought was right there in the office. What's this say about the earthquakes? Perhaps it says they were too cheap to give him a promotion and a raise for four months. That's the reason why they drugged their heels. But uh, I wouldn't say that you might, lovely listener. Uh, That wraps up MLS coverage. Uh, We do want to give a little statement out about the NWSL as they started their playoffs. Uh, You know, they had their scandals this season. We talked about them. It's not fair to only cover the scandals. Let's give them some shout-out now on what there's going to happen in and around the playoffs. And uh, 
producer Mason has the news on this. I do. Um, so the there were two quarterfinal games for the NWSL. Those were on Sunday the 7th. And uh, the Chicago Red Stars defeated the New York, New Jersey Gotham 1-0. And that was Carly Lloyd's final game. So closes the book on her career officially. And everything we said about Chris Wondolowski, you double it for Carly Lloyd. Absolutely. Just astounding what she accomplished in her career. A tip of the cap to her. Just statue for both of them. We lost two of the best of American soccer from the game this week. Statues need to be built. Oh, yeah. But uh, we talked about Carly Lloyd's performance with the U.S. women's team uh, when she announced her uh, retirement from that. Um, And a lot of what we said there is applicable here. Just an exceptional talent. But so she's closed the book on her career, and um, the NYNJ Gotham are gone from the NWSL playoffs. Uh, The other game, the Washington Spirit, which is the D.C. area team, they win 1-0 over the North Carolina Courage uh, in extra time. So they advance as well. Kudos to those two teams. During the, as we previously mentioned, the scandals, the hit NWSL this season, both of these teams were very, very deep into those. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, kudos to the players for overcoming the distractions and uh, getting to this point. And a point of pride that uh, how much discussion and how much it meant and how it could possibly impacted the way that the women's game is looked at worldwide in various other reasons. Uh, Good for them. Yeah. But yeah, this is just it's been a very difficult season for the NWSL. Um. But so moving on, the semifinals will be on Sunday, the 14th. Uh, We have the OL Reign going up against the Washington Spirit and the Portland Thorns will be playing Chicago Red Stars. Portland was the class of the league, as usually they are. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Reign came on late in the season. See if they can keep the thing rolling. Uh, Also, a point of mention, the preliminary... uh, schedule for MLS playoffs had a a collision between the opening game with the Philadelphia Union against NYC NYCFC uh, and the finals of the NWSL MLS did change the times on their games oh okay so that's very good news anything that we possibly possibly missed in this long ass show um, I think we got everything. Yeah, we hit it all. Yeah, I guess we did. <laughs> and uh, just a reminder, uh, next uh, next one or during the World Cup window, we might be a little off schedule. So if you want to be sure and catch what we have to say, and perhaps you should, or even perhaps you shouldn't, uh, but be sure to subscribe uh, so that you don't miss our shows that are perhaps a little off schedule next week. Also, rate and review. It really helps the show. And, well, I'm your host, Mike Turner. I'm your producer, Mason. And I'm your resident hooligan, Sean Campbell. And we are the Soccer Capital Podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.